Welcome to the CSIS Podcast. I'm Colm Quinn. Following Donald Trump's victory, America is still in a bit of a daze. Whether that comes from shock or euphoria depends on your side of the political spectrum. Since the election, campaign promises are being walked back, potential appointees are being touted, and the wounds of a divisive year are still being nursed. And so we're turning to France, who may be in for their own dramatic election. Already, the primary season has sprung a surprise, with former Prime Minister François Fillon winning the nomination for the Conservative Party, winning out in a field that included another former Prime Minister, Alain Juppé, as well as former President Nicolas Sarkozy. Somewhat more expected, but no less unusual, was the decision by sitting President François Hollande not to seek re-election. It's the first time in over 50 years that an incumbent has taken this route. It seems as if the election will come down to Mr Fillon and Marine Le Pen, the leader of the far-right National Front, whose party has made inroads in the country in the past few years. The elections don't begin until April and May, but is the upheaval of 2016 about to continue into the new year? I spoke with Jeff Rathke, the deputy director of our Europe programme, to find out. We begin by discussing President François Hollande's decision not to seek re-election. Well, we've had a parade of uh, Europeans coming through Washington over the last couple of weeks asking us for our interpretation of of what's happening here. Uh, I happened to have a meeting with some senior French politicians today, and it was a pleasure to turn the tables on them and ask them to explain to me what's happening back in their home uh, country. Uh, You're right, uh, Colm, the president in France announced that he wasn't going to run again. I think there's a couple of factors that uh, that come into play here. First, his public opinion uh, uh, levels were extremely low, single digits um, uh, pretty consistently in recent uh, weeks and months. And uh, he pretty explicitly at the uh, outset of his term had said that he did not want to run again unless he was able to get the unemployment rate down um, uh, significantly, uh, that he considered that a litmus test. And um, so he mentioned that again in his uh, announcement yesterday. I don't think that was the only thing happening, but uh, the underperformance of uh, of his government uh, had uh, really uh, led to a loss of support, so much so that he was probably going to be challenged for his own party's nomination for the presidency. And and I think uh, adding up all of these factors, he saw that he would be challenged for his nomination. Chances were that he wouldn't even make it to the second round in a general election. Um, and so he did you know, what you might call the honorable thing and took himself out of the race, hoping to give his own party uh, a better chance um, uh, as a result. So the conservative nominee, um, Francois Fillon, he, uh, he came out of a pretty complicated field. He had uh, Sarkozy, Juppé. Uh, what was it about him that made him win? Well, there there were uh, a couple of things going on there. Uh, first of all, former President Sarkozy uh, was was running for uh, uh, for the nomination again. He was he was defeated in 2012, um, so this would have been a uh, a big political comeback. Sarkozy uh, was uh, you know plagued in the last few years uh, by scandals that surrounded party financing in the 2012 election um, and, uh, you know, and other, uh, other uh, scandals uh, uh, surrounding his, um, you know, the way he carried out uh, his, his office. So although Sarkozy was pretty uh, adept at tapping into the, uh, the shifting 
um, mood of the electorate, especially emphasizing law and order uh, issues, which had been his mainstay throughout his political career, uh, and also um, in the aftermath of high-profile terrorist attacks. Um, there was also this whiff of scandal around Sarkozy. He was still under investigation, and there was a pending. There was the possibility that he would be prosecuted. So that, uh, I, I think, was a real damper on his ability to appeal to the uh, uh, the voters on the center right. And Alain Juppé, who was uh, expected to be uh, the, the victor, uh, he is a pretty conventional politician, um, uh, pretty moderate, uh, pretty centrist, and I think uh, failed to capture, again, this mood of uh, anti-elitism. Uh, and uh, and in in the particular French context uh, of uh, of a desire for uh, you know pretty tough measures um, following the uh, terrorist attacks and security threats uh, they've experienced, and uh, so uh, so Fillon came uh, a bit uh, out of nowhere. He was uh, he was. Uh, at the back of the polls in third place, and then had a surge in the last few weeks before the before the vote. I think he had this combination of Sarkozy's toughness uh, on, especially on uh, public security issues, um, and uh, and also um, you know, a uh, a sort of stronger conservative uh, message without any of the scandal of Sarkozy that uh, that put him over the top. What do we know about him then uh, from international relations? perspective. One of the things I'm seeing is that he seems to be quite friendly with Vladimir Putin. Well, uh, Fillon was the prime minister of France uh, for five years uh, under Nicolas Sarkozy. And for much of that period, uh, Putin was the prime minister of Russia. So it was his direct uh, counterpart. Um, and by all accounts, uh, they, you know, they, they got along well. They had a friendly relationship. And uh, since he has been out of office, it is in the last uh, four years or so, um, Fillon has been critical of the West's approach to Russia on a number of issues, including uh, the sanctions that were imposed after Russia annexed uh, Crimea um, and the and things like NATO enlargement and so forth. So he has he he has taken um, positions that are friendly toward Russia. On the other hand, you know, you got to wait and see what happens if the guy wins office and what the situation is. Because uh, Francois Hollande, when he came into office, he sought improved relations uh, with with Russia uh, as well, and and then things took a dramatic turn um, uh, to the negative after the uh, Russian intervention in Ukraine. So um, yes, Fillon has this um, inclination toward good relations with Russia. How that would actually manifest itself. Uh, is harder to predict. Uh, right Even now. now, it's been months at this point, but Europe is still reeling from uh, Brexit. Is there that same level of anti-European sentiment taking root in France? Is, is that going to be a part of this presidential campaign? I think uh, if you look at if you look at Fillon um, uh, and what he said about the European Union, he is he is a pro. He is not an anti-EU candidate. Uh, he wants to reform and change the EU, but he is not uh, questioning its, uh, you know, its its existence uh, or its major functions. Um, I think under him, you might see France push more toward what they what people call the intergovernmental aspect. Uh, that is, the leaders of of nations dealing with each other to work out solutions to problems rather than simply trusting the bureaucracy in Brussels um, to devise solutions and then ram them through. Um, so that's a difference of emphasis, but that, uh, that, France, that French national interests depend on a strong European Union and on European unity, 
I think is something that Fillon wouldn't uh, wouldn't call into question. That Marine Le Pen quite different from that. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Right now, it seems in the polls, I think it was last one I saw was sixty six percent would vote for Fillon. The against who is his likely challenger, which is Marine Le Pen. I think this year we've learned that polls can be a little back and forth sometimes. So what what's what's led to the rise of of Marine Le Pen and what? Uh, what is she offering to French voters that's making her attractive? Mm-hmm. Uh, one comment on just the French voting system first uh, before I get into that, just to, you know, because it's it's a quite a different system than we've got here. It's a two it's a two round um, presidential election, so anybody who wants to run can run in the first round, and the top two finishers then compete in a runoff um, uh, a couple of weeks later, um, which determines the uh, the final uh, victor. So. Um, so these, when you look at the polls, some of the polls posit a second-round matchup between Fillon and Le Pen, and you're right, they do show you know, two-thirds to one-third uh, margin uh, for him. And then there are other polls that look at the likely candidates in the first round, and there you see a much tighter contest, of course, because you've got more people uh, drawing away the votes. But even in those, uh, you tend to see Fillon somewhere in the mid-30s. Le Pen somewhere in the mid-20s, and then the next best candidate, um, you know, somewhere in the upper teens. So you've got a fair spread between them, but we're five months out, so a lot a lot can change. Now, as far as, uh, as, far as Le Pen goes, uh, you know, Le Pen has uh, something in common with, uh, with some of the other uh, kind of populist and nationalist voices you hear in Europe. She is extremely critical of the European Union and of the euro currency. She has this overall emphasis on national sovereignty, uh, which in recent years has resonated to a greater degree with voters in a lot of countries. Um, and uh, the general blaming of Brussels for whatever is wrong. Uh, and when that fails, then you blame your national capital. Um, so it's it's mostly an anti-Brussels message, but it's also an anti-elite uh, message at the same time um, that uh, is is blaming them for the deterioration in uh, in middle class earnings, in um, in social for social ills, uh, and so forth. And I think for the National Front, which has existed for you know several decades already. Um, what has changed over the last few years um, is that they, as they have grown in popularity, they have, in some places, a track record of being in um, you know, local city councils, uh, of being elected to regional um, uh, legislatures, and so they have been they have been able to, you know, they've become normal um, in a way, um, a, a normal part of the political landscape, and. As they have developed that that experience, I think a lot of voters, including people who are not far right uh, voters themselves, they see them as defenders of a kind of status quo or as uh, you know wanting to to return to a uh, previous era, um, and are attracted less by the 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 anti-immigrant message in some cases um, as they are by kind of an anti-globalization, anti-change agenda. You've got a mixture of all those things going on there. Okay. The, the other thing I would add is that, uh, you know, since, since she took over uh, a few years ago from her father, uh, the, the National Front was founded uh, by Jean-Marie Le Pen, uh, Holocaust denier, um, and, and uh, you know, 
for for whom the National Front was really on the right wing fringes of of French politics. She has made an effort to um, you know to downplay and even to remove some of those most extreme elements uh, from the National Front, including a, a very public uh, break with her father, who was expelled from the party uh, recently. Uh, because of his Holocaust-denying uh, statements and so forth, so she has succeeded in in um, you know, removing some of that stigma from the National Front, which I think for some voters was a, a made it a non-starter. And as she's distanced from from that element, then it makes them you know more uh, conceivable for some voters uh, as as an electoral alternative. What kind of effect is Donald Trump's victory? in the U.S. election having on the French election and, and I guess elections in Europe in general, there's a lot of candidates who share very similar rhetoric and similar views uh, to the current president-elect. Well, this goes back a little bit before Trump's election, of course, even. It goes back to Brexit uh, at, at least and, and further than that. But Brexit was the first big earthquake um, that, uh, that made people realize uh, the possibility of, of a shakeup um, in in European politics, and now we've seen it in the United States uh, as well. I think there are two ways in which um, you know this uh, this is significant. On the one hand, you have um, people like uh, Marine Le Pen and the National Front in France, um, Gerrit Wilders and the Freedom Party in the Netherlands, which also has uh, an election in March of 2017. And then you've got the so-called Alternative uh, for Germany party um, in Germany, all of which have been kind of basking in the glow of Trump's victory uh, because it gives them a sen- it gives them a, a public image of electability or of, of con- you know, it's conceivable um, that they could win uh, elections. And, and so they, you know, they, they certainly are lapping that, but that up at the moment. On the other hand, most of the people who vote for those kinds of, of far right uh, parties, um, you know, they have they have a significant element of dissatisfaction with a global order in which the United States is dominant. I wouldn't say that they are anti-American per se, but they're people who are not particularly happy with um, you know an American-dominated global order. And as the Trump administration takes office and starts to implement policies, some of which may um, be uh, pretty unpopular in Europe, whether it be on climate change um, or you know, trade or whatever. Um, it'll be a question, you know, whether whether those uh, f- uh, far right leaders are going to want to associate themselves too closely um, with uh, with Donald Trump at that stage, because he won't just be this uh, this sort of uh, uh, figure. He'll be an actual leader um, with policies that people can agree with or disagree with. From a U.S. perspective, I think the uh, another delicate issue is going to be how uh, the Trump administration, um, between now and the inauguration, but especially after uh, he takes office, will um, will relate to these far right movements because uh, they are seen by governments in uh, in Europe as a threat not only to you know the the sitting governments. But as a threat to uh, the the European Union and to European integration, which is uh, which is something um, you know quite grave in the view of many. So, how the how the the, the president elect and then the president 
um, talks about does he have any connection or contact with uh, any of these uh, far-right parties um, uh, in any way is going to be a delicate issue because, um, as, as we saw with the, uh, you know, the, the meeting and the photograph with Nigel Farage of the UK Independence Party, you know, doesn't go down well uh, with a lot of European leaders. And so as president, Trump is going to have to have relationships with governments who are in power whom he's going to have to deal with. And so does he distance himself? from people who right now are trying to wear his mantle. And that was Jeff Rathke bringing us to the end of our show. We'll be back with more next week when we'll be continuing our weekly schedule. As always, if you'd like us to cover something on the show or have anything else to say, you can find me on Twitter at Column F Quinn. That's it for me. Thanks for listening.